From Sarasota Memorial, this is HealthCast. A healthy dose of information from experts you can trust. Hi, everyone. Welcome to HealthCast. I'm Allison Goddard-Meyer. Thank you so much for joining us from the Deb Kavanaugh Multimedia Studio here at SMH as we relaunch the HealthCast series. Joining me today is Dr. Manuel Gordillo, the Medical Director of Infection Prevention and Control here at Sarasota Memorial. And of course, after this pandemic, Dr. Gordillo, we wanted to do a check-in before we continue on with season three of HealthCast to explain how we're able to do this safely. So Dr. Gordillo, thank you for being with us, of course, as always. Good morning, Allison. Thank you for having me and ready to uh, start with this chat. Yeah. So. At the end of season two of HealthCast, we were facing this unprecedented COVID-19 pandemic. Now we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. So we're relaunching HealthCast after almost a year of not doing them. How are we able to sit here safely unmasked? Wow, it's been a year already. I yeah, I can't believe it. But um, yes, we're we're here. It's it's a little bit different now than the last time we did uh, this a, a year ago. Back then, we we were into all mitigating measures that we talked about. Even the mitigating measures have changed a little bit. You know, back then we used to talk about you know cleaning all the surfaces, doing a lot of hand hygiene. You know, the cleaning has been relaxed a little bit. We still do a lot of hand hygiene. Then we talk about masks we, in, in certain settings we still use masks and we'll talk about that later but but we're in uh, we're, we're improving the quality of the masks for certain settings uh, that has uh, changed from the beginning and then there's this whole thing about ventilation you know which we didn't talk about a year ago but since then we've been talking about that but those are all mitigation measures that's not what's changed the situation for us like we're talking here right now what has really changed is the solution for this pandemic which is the vaccine we both got vaccinated in December, so now we're both vaccinated and we can talk without uh, any of those mitigation measures. So I think that's what's really made the difference. Yeah, I think it's important, as you said, we are both vaccinated, so we're doing this in a safe way here in our new studio. Uh, the latest CDC guidelines still require unvaccinated people to wear masks. Why is that? Well, the unvaccinated, uh, there's a couple of reasons why they would ask, CDC ask them to do that. One is to protect themselves. And also the second one is for source control. If they are infected, you know, by, by wearing a mask, they don't spread the virus to the environment and to someone else that could be in the same environment, in the same room, unvaccinated. So right now the vaccinated is protected. So the CDC is saying you no longer need to wear a mask uh, even indoors uh, with other people because you are protected. In the past, we were still hanging to the concept of everybody wears a mask because we wanted to protect the ones that are unvaccinated. But the CDC has gotten to a point that, you know, A, we have 
overwhelming evidence of efficacy and safety for this vaccine. And there's been plenty of opportunity to most of those that want to get a vaccine to get the vaccine. So now we're transitioning into just um, vaccinating all those that are, are left that need to get a vaccine, which is uh, not that many. Uh, if we count the ones that are opposed to the vaccine, you will never get the vaccine. So unfortunately, I think the CDC came to the conclusion that there are some certain people in, the, in our pop adult population, it's estimated between 15 and 20% that are not gonna get vaccinated, but there's nothing that we can do for them. So we just need to return to normal. Those 15 to 20% that don't uh, want to get vaccinated will get the disease and they will become immune by a different way by getting the disease. So we, this is our way to return to normal in the short term. So that's what we, the CDC is doing. They're, they're sticking to the science and they're letting the public you know, adapt to those new guidelines, new, new rules of engagement. Uh, and we're all, uh, many of us are struggling with that because we, we want, to, sometimes we are uh, afraid of not wearing a mask, but you know, over time we will adapt to that and things will return to normal. Now, many in our community, especially those who were most at risk of COVID-19, for example, people who are elderly or have pre-existing conditions, if they already um, have the vaccine and are two weeks out from their second vaccination, do they still need to mask if they're still concerned? Do, what do you say to people who say, I know that the CDC says I can take my mask off, but I'm just, I'm still too nervous. If you're nervous and you don't want to do it, it's fine. You can continue to wear the mask. You know, that's something the CDC just uh, gives the, the guidelines based on science, but sometimes science is not all. You know, we have our own fears. We have our own anxieties until we feel comfortable with this. Then we don't need to act just because somebody else is telling you that you can do that. You know, this is something that you can do. You, it's not something that you must do. Uh, once you're comfortable with this, then you can do it. What the CDC is saying, the science is supporting you of going to indoors and not wear a mask if you've been vaccinated. That's what science is saying. Obviously, they're not mandating anything. You can still wear a mask if you so desire. Uh, the, the only situation that I think still is up in the air is the, the severely immunocompromised person, those with uh, cancer and chemotherapy, especially certain drugs that are, uh, have been found to be problematic, uh, or certain uh, conditions like transplant patients or HIV patients that are in advanced stage, things that are very, very uh, severely immunocompromised, those patients probably still need to be wearing a good mask even when they, they're vaccinated because we don't know whether the vaccine works for that small subgroup of patients. But everyone else, you know, the, the very elderly, uh, the young, the middle-aged, all of them are protected, even those that have diabetes, and not severe immune compromising conditions, they all work fine and they've been tested uh, and we know that the vaccine provides protection. So that group can also go indoors and not wear a mask uh, if you want to stick to the science. So we first saw COVID-19 in our community in March of 2020, last year. 
In December of 2020, Sarasota Memorial received its first shipment of the COVID-19 vaccine. You were there as those boxes from Moderna arrived. Absolutely. An exciting time, but my question for you is, how were these vaccines developed so quickly, so seemingly very quickly, to get us to this point now where we can start to really see that light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, it's 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 to me it's almost like the miracles of science. You know, uh, I, it, once we look at the history of how this was developed, uh, we learn that the vaccine was not begun to study in March when we were seeing the first cases here. The the vaccine development started much earlier in that year. On January 10th, that's the first time where they actually went to work. But even the conceptual part of this, this uh, was before March, January 10th, and the development that led to all these technologies have been brewing for 10, 20 years. So we've been uh, applying these technologies to other vaccines that um, are not, were not as important to be developed because we already have some other vaccines or because they are, were developed for diseases that we don't see much more like Zika or some of the other coronaviruses like MERS and the first SARS uh, or rabies, for example. So those are diseases that uh, are either extinct or not very important. So, but the research has been working on those. So come January 10th, we learn about this virus. We know the sequence of the virus. So the NIH researchers went to work that day and they started working intensely, very intensely and, and very presciently too, because they didn't know that this was gonna turn out to be this big, huge pandemic, but they knew that they had the potential. So they started working on that. And then the, the, the government, uh, help us out a lot in, because they injected money into this and took away the risk of the companies on developing this, which is very important. You know, if you take most manufacturers of any medication will not jump into developing vaccines or any other drug uh, for medications uh, unless they know they're going to make money. But in this case, the government told them listen, you start working on development of the vaccine and the production of the vaccine. We're gonna pay you even if the vaccine doesn't work. So they took away the risk. So there were companies that normally are not interested in vaccine production and vaccine research. They got into that. We have Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, Moderna, Novavax, all these companies got into this because they, they, the risk was taken away and then the FDA said, okay, and not only that, we're gonna help you do the studies. So normally these studies take multiple years because they need to find the cases. In this case, we had tons of cases and then, then they have to have volunteers. You know, it's always difficult to find volunteers, but here during a pandemic, a lot of people want to volunteer because they understand the need. So there were a lot of volunteers and now we had a compressed uh, 
um, way of doing it. There's three phases in clinical trials. You know, all of the, this were almost, almost seamless. You start with a phase one, which is you start, you know, to find what's the correct dose. You know, you get like 30 volunteers and you do that. Once you know what the correct dose is, you, you need to do. And now the next phase two, where you get, let's say, 200 volunteers to see if it's safe. And then, then you have to go to the large clinical trials, the 30,000, 40,000 volunteers. And this, this went on seamlessly. You know, we started doing this about April, May, and uh, by the July, I think Pfizer and Moderna, they were already doing phase three trials and doing volunteer studies. And by October, December, November, we knew that the results were spectacular. So it's just an amazing uh, way this thing was developed, you know, and it's a testament to the science and a testament to how when governments and scientists work together, we can, we can achieve great things. You talked about that the CDC has accepted that 15 to 20% of the population, let's say, is not going to get the vaccine or is very hesitant. Um, we saw greater hesitancy, especially at the beginning when we were getting those first shipments back in December. Um, do you think it's improved? Do you think more people now, because tens of millions of people have gotten this vaccine here, uh, hundreds of millions across the world now, do you think that the vaccine hesitancy has subsided? And is there anything we can do to continue to encourage more of the population to get the vaccine? Yes, I think definitely there's been an improvement. You know, they, people have been doing surveys about how many people are willing to take the vaccine. And at the low, which was around November of last year, uh, only about 30, 40% of people that said that they were willing to take the vaccine. You know, over time that has improved, you know, and then there's been campaigns like uh, at the local level where we were go out and talk to people about how effective and how safe these vaccines are. And a lot of times also to talk to them about building trust, you know, because this is an issue. Vaccine hesitancy is not only uh, an issue about misinformation and disinformation, but also about trust in your doctors, trust in the system, trust in the government. So that takes uh, a lot of work, you know. So we engage in those uh, type of uh, approaches to try to improve the acceptance of the vaccine. Uh, so those 30% bec became the 60% of the adults now that have already taken at least one dose of the vaccine in the United States. So we've done fairly well in, in convincing people that vaccination is extremely important. I think there's still uh, uh, people there that uh, have not gotten the vaccine because A, they didn't have time, they, they're, they're, they're hard to reach populations, uh, they want to get the vaccine. And there's still some people that are on the fence, but the people are on the fence as they see the millions of people that get the vaccine and nothing happens to them. Um, that uh, that makes them change their mind. And also we go and talk to them and we instill some confidence on that. Sometimes it's not necessarily doctors, most commonly it's doctors, but some there's other people in the community, civic leaders, you know, uh, you know the priests and so forth, uh, that go and talk to them uh, at a different level and also have been able to successfully 
recruit some of these folks to get vaccinated. So it's been a, a very uh, wide range of interventions to improve the vaccine acceptance and decrease the vaccine hesitancy. I think there's still work to do. I think we still have time. There's still, we're still vaccinating about 2% of the adult population a week, which is less than what we used to uh, just a month or two ago, but it gives you an idea there's still uh, people are getting vaccinated this time. And then we're expanding into other ages where there previously no vaccine, like the, the older children. Yeah, it's now been opened up to the point that we're seeing plenty of vaccine supply in communities. There's plenty of open slots to go take the shot. And we're encouraging everyone in the community to get the shot as soon as they can get an appointment. But we're also seeing that Pfizer has been opened up now to younger people, right? Uh, yes. Uh, over the age of 12, 12, correct? yes. How do you, what do you say to parents who are still concerned this hasn't been tested on enough children or, or I don't know if I want my child to get it? What do you say to them? Well, right now we have the, the, the 12 and older, you know. Um, so the, the vaccine is important for that group of people because we want the kids also to go back to school. I think with children, the most important thing is we need to get them back to school in person. You know, I, it's, it's clear that um, online schooling doesn't work as well and, and kids are falling behind. Uh, and I think we owe it to all the children uh, that they, they should go back to school in person and recover some of the lost time. So in order to enable that, we need to vaccinate as many kids as we can. And we need to vaccinate ourselves too you know, because it's clear that when the adults get vaccinated, the, the children will be protected. But going back to your question, I think it's important for the sake of the children themselves, you know, and then also they feel safer. You know, my experiences from parents that already have vaccinated their children, sometimes they ask their children, do you want to get vaccinated? And all of them, they're lining up and saying, yes, please vaccinate me because they know what the potential benefits are, not having to wear a mask, all these things are important for children. So, but this is the older children, you know, I think in the next, uh, in the probably in the summer and later in the year, we're gonna get into the younger children. And, and in, the, in that case, it's not only the personal benefit to them, but also societal benefit. The more that we vaccinate, the less opportunities for the virus to replicate and, 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 and pass on to, in, to infect others and also in developing mutations that we can talk about that later. But those are the main things that we want. We want all of us to return to normalcy and that includes our children. Switching gears here a little bit, this has been it's been said so many times, just an unprecedented year plus at this point. What, how has this pandemic changed the study, the study of infectious disease and what you do every day? Well, you know, all of us got involved in, in, in uh, COVID research. A lot, a lot of us, not, I'm not necessarily a researcher, you know, I'm more a clinician taking care of patients, but I have a lot of friends that do research and everybody basically stopped doing whatever research they were doing, all the HIV doctors, the tuberculosis doctors, sexually transmitted diseases. 
Everybody stopped doing that. And, and in general, around uh, all academic medicine, everybody started doing a little bit of COVID one way or another because everybody wanted to help. So we've um, we moved into helping with COVID research uh, directly or indirectly. And we found some, we've learned some ways of studying things that, uh, that in the past we didn't pursue necessarily. Like for example, we learned that every patient that comes in the hospital can uh, go into a clinical trial if you offer that to them. You know, and we, we did a lot of clinical trials and all the patients that would come with COVID to us, we offer them participating in one clinical trial or, or another. And many of them were willing to do that. There are very few that would say, no, no, I don't want to participate in clinical trials. People want to do that. People want to contribute. They want to, want to help science move forward. So that was a very important thing. And, and I think in the future, we're going to do that. You know, patients come to the hospital or sometimes to the clinic and uh, we probably are going to ask him to participate in a clinical trial and answer some questions that have been unanswered for years because we didn't have the wherewithal or the desire to have those questions tested and answered in, in a more formal way. So that's been important for us, you know, in infectious diseases, but uh, that extends to all aspects of medicine. So uh, that's been important. And obviously the vaccines, uh, now we have new technologies in vaccines and those are gonna be applied to many other infectious diseases because the technologies are very adaptable. It does, the, the technologies, the platforms that not only work for coronaviruses can work for any other virus and for some bacteria. So I think looking back at this year, we're gonna say, well, the vaccine world was uh, and everything be before 2020 and then the new technologies that came after 2020. Last question. We know from history that COVID-19 will not be the last pandemic that our world will likely face. If you could sum it up in one sentence for the community, what do you want their takeaway to be from COVID-19? So we should always think that there's a pandemic lurking somewhere in the world. And we always have to be prepared. Uh, we should not let public health uh, and uh, public health uh, deteriorate to the point where we are totally unprepared for a new pandemic. And unfortunately that happened to us in the United States. Um, years ago, we were better prepared for pandemics, but because the pandemics were not happening, we got lulled into a sense of, uh, this is ne never gonna happen again, let's just not spend any money and spend the money somewhere else. And the, a new pandemic will start sooner or later and we should be prepared and we should invest on that. So if you ask me what to do is, you know, when you talk to your politicians, tell them that investing in pandemics is just as important as investing in wars and, and military and just just like we spend money in, pre in preparing for war, we should be spending money in preparing for pandemics. Well, Dr. Gordillo, thank you so much once again. And, and thank you on behalf of the community for all you and the team and everyone at Sarasota Memorial has done to 
get this, get our community through this pandemic. Of course, there were so many other community partners involved, and we just want to thank everyone who has helped get us to the other side. That light is at the end of the tunnel, but we, of course, want to and continue to encourage our community to stay safe, wear a mask if you are unvaccinated, follow those CDC guidelines, and of course, if you can, get the shot as soon as you have the opportunity. And if you need any more information about COVID-19 and Sarasota Memorial, visit smh.com slash COVID-19.